coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. <clears throat> yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. What we've been doing is we've been looking at some familiar stories, some not so familiar stories, and we've been understanding that when we read the Bible, it's not just about reading the story, but it is in fact possible for us to live the story. In fact, that God didn't write this book and create this life for us just so that we can go and hang out and have, have a good time. He didn't just do that, even though that's a big part of him giving you a rich and abundant life. But what we discover is that this book is more than just some words on a page. It's actually fuel for our life, and it's the launch pad for our life. Because Jesus himself said, you know, you've seen what I can do, but greater things are going to come, and it's going to come through you. Jesus at work in your life. And so I don't know about you, but I get kind of tired of, of just reading the stories and asking myself the same question over and over and over again. Why not me? Why not now? I read it and I'm like, oh, man, Jesus was so awesome back then. How come he's not now? No, no one feels that way. You can say it out loud. How come he does all this awesome stuff here, but he doesn't do any awesome stuff now? But he does. And he wants that for you, and he wants that for me. And it is possible for, to, for us to transition from just reading the story to begin to live the story. To understand that when Jesus Christ died on the grave... And that he was rose again. He rose with resurrection power. And Romans 8 tells us that the same power that conquered the grave now lives inside of me. And it lives inside of you. All of Jesus. Kelly mentioned it early. All of Jesus. All of the spirit of God is now inside of you and at work in your life and ready to, for you to use and put into practice. We don't have to just read the story. We can live the story. The question is how do we get there, right? How do we get there? How do we get there? This is what Acts 1 verse 8 says. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The whole plan was for you to be a witness, which is the legal word for uh, to give a testimony. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You will be my witnesses, meaning God is going to do something in you, through you, and around you that will require. The whole plan was that you would have to testify. You would have to. If God is at work, you, you cannot keep it in because there's going to be so much stuff happening in you and around you that you just are going to have to tell somebody about it. Everybody has a story. Our problem in North American culture is that we've got caught up and wrapped up in the spectacular and we miss the significant. Right? We get so caught up in the spectacular that we miss the significant. Just as a, a quick form of refresh, when we talk about God at work in our lives, God, he rounds off our rough edges. You know, the, the Bible says in Galatians 5 that the fruits of the Spirit are what? Love, joy. Yeah, okay, you can stop there. Oh, you guys are doing great. You guys are killing it. But guess what? Those are all character things. When we think of God at work in our lives, we think of the Holy Spirit, we think like, I raised somebody from the dead. God's like, yeah, how about I raise your character from the dead? <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. What if, <laughs> I mean, 
me, let me phrase it this way, and you've heard this before, and I'm just going to keep saying it again. When God works on our character, our character is the thing that allows us to carry our calling. You've got a great calling on your life. God's got a plan and a purpose for you. But your character is the thing that does the heavy lifting. You can get into trouble when you've got the calling and you've got the gifts and you've got the talents and you've got the abilities. You've got all those things, but you start to outrun your character. You find yourself in hot water because your gifts get you places that you were never intended to be because you don't have the integrity or the strength of character to be there. So you wonder why you're so gifted, you're so talented, but things don't come together. It's because your character has not caught up to your calling. So when God is at work in your life, he's at work on who you are as a person. When he saves you and he transforms you, he, 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 you can come in here any way you want. You can come in here just the way you are, but you cannot expect to leave the same. God loves you so much that he does not leave you. He does not leave you. You could be a 10 out of 10 jerk. In fact, let's illustrate this. Sebastian, come forward. Sebastian here is a, I'm going to say 11 out of 10 jerk, especially because he talked about a four-week vacation in Bali in front of everybody at church and the amazing ice cream that he had. So he's a 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10 jerk. God is at work in his life. God is doing incredible things. He, he's talking to him. He's reading his Bible. It's coming alive. Jesus is speaking into his spirit. And all of a sudden, he moves from like 11 to like a 10 to like a 9 like an eight, eight out of 10 jerk is still real jerky. Uh, he gets down to a seven and then all of a sudden he drops this like compliment, like, and you're listening to him you're like, who is this person? Did he just say something nice? Guess what? You just evidence the power of God at work in his life. That's a miracle because he wouldn't be giving no compliment three weeks ago, four weeks ago. If God hadn't been working and developing his character and bringing out all those things and putting him through situations and trials that extracts the character out of him, you wouldn't have heard that compliment. Now, here's the best part about it. He's still a jerk at 7 out of 10. He's still a jerk, right? But God is working on this jerk. He's working on him. And anyone who is around him, anyone who is in proximity of this jerk is aware that God is doing something because he's not as jerky as he once was. We think the power of God at work is only miracles and, and baskets of food being tossed around with 12 leftovers. The power of God at work in your life is rounding out your rough edges and developing your character so that when he comes on you and he needs you to do the spectacular, your character already has a grasp on the signal. All right, thanks, Seb. Give him a round of applause. Thank you. That was a great illustration. That was just a reminder. That was just a reminder. We're not even into the message yet. Um, all of your notes are on the YouVersion Bible app. If you open that up, you hit the More button, you hit the Events button, you hit the Engage City Church button, and you'll find all of the notes and all of the Bible verses for today, so you don't have to be flicking around on your phone, because we have any real Bibles in the house? One, two, three. Three, four. It's always three and now four. Okay. Um, that's all right. We're, we're getting better. We're getting better. And the Bible's in your phone as well. So that will help you out. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. I got two verses to start 
with, uh, with you. And uh, I was originally going to try and do this entire story. It's 42 verses. So I don't think we'll make it in the next three weeks. So what we're going to do is look at two verses. I think we can possibly handle two. Is anyone ready? If you're ready for two, say two. Okay, great. John chapter 4, verse 34. I'm just being honest with you. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. I mean, I think we can all go home right there. Verse 35, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. I don't know that saying. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. See, the hard part about reading a Bible is that sometimes it's, it's like, well, not sometimes, all the time. It's like 2,000-year-old like slang. So I don't understand the phrase four months between planting and harvest. And the thing is, I don't go to farms. I don't, any farmers in the house? Is Jesse here? Uh, well, Jeff's here. You know, so, okay, so that's one hand. Uh, so we don't necessarily understand. It's hard for us in an app culture to understand an ab- agriculture slang phrase, right? It's just hard for us to wrap our minds around it. Beca- and, and here's the thing. Context is very important when we're reading the Bible. We need to understand why things are being said and how it's being said. But, but you know, I like the word harvest. Does anyone like the word harvest in the Bible? Anyone like to hear that word? Like harvest. That means like, oh, man, it's like my time. It's my season. That means like blessing of God is coming on me. It's like I'm ready to go. Yeah, I hear harvest. I'm like, yeah, amen. I'm going to get to church. I'm going to sit closer. You're preaching on harvest. I'm getting to the front because the blessing of God is coming on me. I get so excited when I hear the word harvest. We're just like jacked up about harvest. Christians love the word harvest. We love it. We're like, oh, harvest, man, I'm reaping what I did not sow. You're like, I don't even understand that phrase. It just means you're going to get what you did not put anything into. It's like the 50-50 at Eskimos game. 436. Four months between planting and harvest. Harvest? Did somebody say harvest? Harvest. So here's the thing about harvest, and maybe Jeff can, can help me out on this. So, you know, when we, when we think about harvest in terms of our understanding of the word harvest and the biblical understanding, you know, we kind of think of like harvest is like my time, it's my season, it's my blessing. I, you know, we kind of maybe understand that harvest is like kick my feet up and like, Ooh, it's my time. It's harvest. It's just the blessing of God. It's just so good. It's just harvest, Matt. These just disappeared. Um, the harvest, it's just like, it's so incredible. It's just like this thing is, is you know, but what is the, you know, harvest time, Jeff, in, in the field, uh, in the real life, uh, is that the time you, like, put your feet up, relax, just kind of, no, he's shaking his head, no. Elaborate. Dawn to dusk. You just get up, dawn to dusk. You get to work, you get on the tractor, whatever, you get horse-drawn carriage, whatever it is you do. The nice, more like the GPS-directed, air-conditioned John Deere. And you get in from dawn till dusk, all night, every, all day long, every day until it's gone. And if there's, if it's not, I mean, Jess knows this. Uh, you know, if, it's, if, if you're like, hey, wow, that was a long day. I'm pretty tired. There's still more to go. I'll just wait. That's not necessarily how it comes because you also kind of need to get paid, right? So when you, when you see the word harvest, we go, oh, it's my blessing time. It's your blessing time, but your blessing comes with something else. All right? I call it hashtag harvest problem. Harvest problems because you're coming into this season of your life, and, and God has the greatest season of your life ahead. And you may be in it right now. But somebody go got to pick that corn. Corn ain't going to pick itself. 
Someone's going to go harvest that grain. It's not going to harvest itself. You could have fields that are full and a harvest that is ripe, but then you break out of sand like this. Ah, it's like four months, you know, until harvest. Harvest problems. See, people... so much trouble today. That's fine. I'm just weighing the complaints and the emails, but it's so worth it. Um, <laughs> hashtag harvest problems could also be called hashtag growing church problems. Again, just weighing everything out here. It's called growing church problems because, you know, you ever come to church and it's hard to find a parking spot here? And you're like, man, I just wish less people came to experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ so I could get a better parking spot ever. <laughs> Harvest problems. You're thinking about adding how many more services? I'm going to have to volunteer how much? I need to stay 15 minutes longer. Do you know what that 15 minutes is going to cost me? I have to stay until what time? And, and we can laugh and we can make joke about it. And, and we have incredible volunteers. In fact, we have an insane volunteer percentage of well over 50% in our church. So I'm not hating on any of our volunteers. In fact, I'm loving our volunteers. And I love the fact that people show up here early. I don't know if you know this, but people show up here as early as 8 o'clock to try and get things ready for you. At 10 o'clock, we got people vacuuming and cleaning and doing all kinds of things and making coffee. You know, somebody has to make that coffee. Coffee don't make itself. It's like, the fields are ripe for harvest. I'm ready for a cup of coffee. Please, Lord, open the tap from heaven. No, somebody does that. Somebody prepares. Somebody comes up here and practices, we hope, to play on the worship team. Somebody does sound, and somebody sits through two entire services to make sure that you got the Bible verses on the screen because we don't bring our paper Bible. Things out. But these are these are. Harvest problems, we, we, we talk about doing multiple services and having more services and doing a, an event like September 24th. Can I tell you, Horizon Stage, that day, we've already had first few meetings. We're about to have a whole lot more meetings. That day is going to be a lot of work. You know, putting out campaign size does not happen on its own. It's a lot of work. When the Bible talks about harvest, those are the greatest days. The greatest days that any of us can have. It's the blessing of God in your life. But the blessing of your God requires that you get up and you go to work. This is Now, we're not just talking about harvest problems in, at church. I mean, we got harvest problems at church, but we got other problems. We got, like, harvest problems at work when you started a company. Now, you can't keep up to the work, and you're like, God, I wish I was working less and making more, less money. No, that, you never say that, but you're like, oh, man, now I've got these problems. Yeah, you got the problems and you got to sort it out, but those are the good kinds of problems. It's, sometimes we get this mentality, the blessing of God is going to come, it's going to float, it's going to sit on my lap, and it's going to be like, ooh, my life is so happy. Get up and take it. Get up and go to work. Get up and start the business if you haven't started it. Get up and get a new job. Get up and innovate where you are. Get up and create. Get up and be the person that God created you to be in the context that he placed you in to thrive and to excel and to bring the kingdom of God into your work. But guess what? It takes, no, no one participated. It takes work. It takes effort. The blessing of God, receiving the blessing of God. Guess what happens when you leave the harvest in the field? Maybe our expert can help us. Jeff, what happens if we leave the harvest in the field? <laughs> it rots, okay? 
it rots. It dies and it rots. It is possible that you've stepped into the greatest season that God has ever called you into. But because you were not aware that harvest needs to be harvested, that the very blessing that God has dropped into your lap, that he's brought you into this season that he's brought you into, you could miss because, like, oh, i gotta, I got to reap this. i got to get out there. i got to do something about this blessing that God's given me. We don't just sit back in it. We get up. We go after it. We get it done. That's the kind of people we are. The people of God are the hardest working people. We don't have to work for our salvation. We're working to keep up to the blessing of God that's now evident in my life. Again, not even on this thing yet. John chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. This is where the excitement happens. He had to go through Samaria on the way. So he's trying to move on to the next city from Judea back to the home base. You know, Galilee, where he's from, the man from Galilee, he's trying to get there. Now, most Jews take a highway. You know how we got the Anthony Hende Ring Road that you can go all the way around the city? You never have to come in the city. This is the thing I use in Calgary, the Stony Trail, so I never have to step foot on that ground. I take the Stony Trail all the way around. I'm not, I'm not giving my money to those flames. Uh, I'm going to drive all the way around. Most Jews, when they're traveling uh, Judea to Galilee, they go all the way around Samaritan territory. Why? Because they hate the Samaritans. He's talking about years like you, you think there's racial problems in America, and there is. But we're talking about racial problems between the Jews and the Samaritans that last and predates 500, 600, 700 years. Because the Jews thought the Samaritans were half-breeds who worshipped their own version of God. They wanted nothing to do with them. They thought they were essentially, it's like scum of the earth. Now, when, when you think about this, when we think in context about this, we go, Samaritans. Oh, good Samaritan. We like Samaritans. Samaritans are good people. There's a bleeding guy on the ground. He went in that fictitious story that Jesus told to tell a real thing. He goes and he like helps the man. We're like, we like the Samaritans. I don't understand what the problem is. Just go through Samaria. How about like 500 years of racial tension? So when Jesus says, hey, disciples, guess what? We're not taking the ring road. We're going to go and we're going to stay in Samaria. Please go find me a hotel and a burger. That's a problem for them. They're having like inner turmoil about being in and around those people because he, they hate those people. They do not like those people. Those people are a problem. Those people are filthy. So this is the best way to equate it. In our context, we hear good Samaritan. We hear Samaritan. We go good Samaritan. Samaritans are good. Big check mark. That would be equivalent to saying to the disciples, hey, good Samaritan would be like us saying, hey, that's a very nice and good member of ISIS. No, that's our real compare. They, they hate these people. <laughs> they hate them so much that they don't even want to walk through their town or stop and eat their food lest they be disgraced. Jesus says, guess what, boys? We have to go there. No, Jesus, you're God. We just disappear through it just teleport us no no we have to go through i'm just going to try and paraphrase this tell you the story without reading the story mainly for time 
but it's all in your notes on YouVersion. So G- the disciples go and get food, and Jesus goes, and he sits by this well. Uh, we'll just go to the Bible. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman wasn't surprised for Jews refused to have, or sorry, was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, (laughs) you don't have a rope or a bucket (laughs) and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Yes, he does. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be, uh, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. So a few things for context, because context is important. Turn to somebody and say context. Context is important. Context is important. It's weird that Jesus was there at noon and at lunchtime. It's even stranger that this woman was there at lunchtime. It was stranger, even more, that this woman was talking to Jesus because in this society, men and women, you do not talk to one another, especially without the permission of somebody else's husband. Because whether you like it or not, at this time in history, women were chattel. They were the possessions of the husband. So you don't cross that line. You don't take milk from my cows, and you do not talk to my wife. So this this woman is there, but now why is she there in the heat of the day? You usually wait for the cool of the day to go and fetch water. She's there because she carries some shame in her life. There's a reason that she's coming to the well at that time. There's a reason Jesus had to go there at that time because he had to intersect this person at the well at just the right time, at just the right place. Jesus is always waiting to intersect you in your life just like he did with this woman at the well. Thank God he did. Verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. So Jesus said, You're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And you aren't married to the man you're living with now. But you certainly spoke the truth. Sir, (laughs) you must be a prophet. (laughs) You must be a prophet. So why is it that that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors Ancestors worship. So now we discover more to the mystery, more to set the context, more to set the stage. Jesus is coming, diverting his journey, coming to hostile enemy territory to to meet this woman at the well at just the right place at just the right time. She's overwhelmed with shame, which is why she's there, because she hasn't been married one time, two times, thrice times, four times. She's been married five times, and the person she's married to, she's living with now, she's not even married to. And Jesus calls her out on that 
in a moment. In one moment, Jesus goes down to the very depths of who she is and says, okay, let's just clear up some mess. Just so that we're aware that, that you're aware that I'm aware of all the things that going is going on in your life. I'm going to give you the living water, but now you need to know that I know what's going on in your life. Because we spend a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of our time trying to hide from Jesus the things that we don't like. When he's intimately aware of all those things already. And so he speaks to this woman and he says, you know, five husband thing. And now you're living with this guy. And what does she do? She takes the conversation back to surface level. It got too personal. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't you be talking about my private life, my, my relationships. Don't you be talking about the person I'm living with. Don't you put any guilt on me. I'm carrying enough guilt and shame. Jesus, let's just talk about this vague, abstract theological principle about why you worship there and why we worship here. Because at least if we just talk about theology, we don't have to talk about this mess that's going on, on inside of me. At least if we talk about something that's very abstract and up here, I can get over this emotional touch where you just came in and, and read my mail and spoke to the very core of who I am. Let, why don't we just talk about something at the surface? Because I don't like you being down in here. And by the way, how are you going to get water without a bucket? You don't have a bucket, Jesus. And though the text doesn't say this, I, I believe that he looks at her and he has a thought. You're the bucket. I'm going to pour out, pour out my living water and you're the bucket. I'm coming for the Samaritan and you're the bucket. So they talk about this theology, and she goes, I know that you're the Messiah. But you know that moment when you're having a really important conversation, and all of your friends come back at the worst possible time? <laughs> Verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. <laughs> they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask. What do you want with her? And why are you talking to her? Obviously, even to the people outside her community, her reputation preceded her. So the woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? You know that moment when you go, uh, let me phrase it this way. Anyone go on vacation before? Great. Has anyone ever lived their vacation from meal to meal? Where, like, you've got your whole agenda, and it's like, what do you think? You're sitting on a patio at your hotel, looking at this incredible view, drinking the terrible coffee that comes from the machine in your hotel room, and the only thing that's making your coffee better is the view, and you're sitting there, and you're sipping it, and, and your, your, your wife or your spouse comes out, and they go, hey, what are you thinking about? You're like, I'm just thinking about what we're going to do for lunch, <laughs> and you haven't even finished breakfast yet. Because, like, when you're kind of, like, planning, I don't know, when we go on vacation, we're always planning. You, know, like, you kind of live from meal to meal to meal, and then all do the fun stuff in between. 
That's kind of how the disciples rolled. They lived from meal to meal to meal, and they did the Jesus stuff in between. So they come back to Jesus like, Jesus, we got you food, bro. We got you like a burger. It's going to be amazing. that we, we, we went on the Internet. We sourced out the best hipster Samaritan food possible. It's actually like a gyro. There's no pork. It's unbelievable. You're going to love it. It's locally sourced. It's unbelievable. Jesus, here's this bag. You need to eat this right now. This woman's running away, and they could care less. All they care about is, Jesus, take the bag. Jesus... We went into this town of disgusting people and found you the greatest of the worst. Eat this food, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, eat something. <laughs> you must be so hungry. You've got to be starving by now. It's all day. Like it took them four hours to find this food. It took a long time. You guys, Jesus, eat this food. Please just eat this food. And, he, and he, he just drops the truth bomb like Jesus does. He says, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. It's my favorite part <laughs> right here. Verse 33. Did somebody <laughs> bring him food while we were gone? <laughs> it's like, did, did you give him a snack? Who had, who had a cliff bar in their bag that they gave to Jesus? We went all the way into this disgusting town to find this food. He doesn't even want it. Jesus is like, guys, shut up. I'm working. There's something important going on here. Like there's something at work. Did you not just see the woman who's running away, crying, running back to a village? You didn't notice that because you were so worried about your meal. The truth is most of us live with a with meal mentality. When's, when's that next meal coming? When's the next compliment coming? When's the next project coming? When's the next relationship coming? And we move, we move from thing to thing to thing to thing, and we forget, and we don't realize that the source was in front of us the entire time. But we live with this meal mentality. i got to chase down this thing and the next thing. Jesus, eat something. No, I am the thing. <laughs> I am the thing. We get so distracted. Jesus, I'm, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm not, stop forcing food on me. I'm not hungry. I'm at work. <laughs> now you've got some context. Then Jesus explains, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me. <laughs> and from, uh, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, Four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. You know, they have a saying, four months between planting and harvest. You know, kick your feet up. We've got another saying around here. <laughs> See what God can do through you. God is at work in your life. It's not just something that we say. It's something that we believe that Jesus Christ is at work in your life. That Jesus isn't just at work in your life, but he's at work and he's moving in you and through you. Which means the power of God is coming out from you and reaching other people. In the same way that Jesus was sitting at the well at this incredible intersection between hopelessness and hope. And he sits down at just the right time and just the right place and offers a source and, and a resource that she didn't even know was available. You now show up at work or at school or at the office or at the park or at your mom's group or at your whatever thing that you do for fun. And you go there and you are now the source and you're sitting at the intersection between hopelessness and hope 
And the question is, are we going to eat the burger or are we going to realize that the harvest is at hand? Now, here's the crazy part. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. <laughs> Kelly's ready. This is, let's back it up. Verse 29, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Did you notice that when she runs back and she tells everybody, she says, so I met a man. And they're like, sure you did. <laughs> Six, seven, eight, which one? I'm sure you met a man. No, 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 no. I did not meet that kind of man. This man is like I've never met before. Uh-huh. Which one is it? Six, seven. No, no. He told me everything about me. Jesus didn't tell her everything about her. He just said the one thing <laughs> that was crippling her. The one thing that kept her from experiencing the whole world. He spoke into her whole world. He didn't tell her everything. It was a quick conversation. You don't need to tell somebody everything. You just need to speak in into the hopelessness and lead them to hope. She says, I think he might be the Messiah. It's okay for us to be on a spiritual journey and to ask questions. Every spiritual journey, every journey towards Jesus starts in confusion because it's not possible for us to know everything. Right? It's not possible. Even now, you might be 20 years in, 30 years in, 40 years in. Here's the incredible thing about God. You will never find the end. Jesus has no end. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. There is, you will not discover it all. If you do, you are wrong and you are mistaken and you probably need to repent because you're following something that is not of Jesus. You can never find all the answers. It's possible for us to live a whole life with questions. You might be saying, why am I in the midst of this thing right now? I don't know, but Jesus knows, and so we keep tracking down Jesus. You might think you need to have all the answers to lead people back to Jesus. No, you just need to know this one thing. Listen, he knew that crazy thing in me, and if he knows that, he knows your thing too. Verse 30, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. The people emptied out the village. They took the word of the lady who's been married five times, living with somebody else, the lady that they don't even get water with at the same time. They take her at her word and come streaming out of the village. So if we, if we can understand the timelines now, verse 31, they say, Rabbi, Rabbi, eat something, eat something. Jesus, you have to eat something. Verse 32, 33, 34, 35, I have food that you don't know, and, and my greatest food is doing the mission and the will of God. The harvest is ripe and the harvest is coming towards us right now. And the disciples look up and they see these Samaritans pouring towards them. Like that's what's happening. Jesus says, listen, the harvest is right here. It's right now. It's harvesting time. And the disciples look up while they're holding the doggy takeout bag and they're like, Jesus, no, 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 no. Okay, it's coming. It's right now. It's right here. You still, you need some fries? It's coming? Okay, you know what, Jesus, hold on. We need to get rid of these dirty, disgusting Samaritans. These guys are in the way of the harvest. These guys are a problem. Jesus is like, you've got the saying, four months of harvest. No, no, harvest is right now. Yeah, no, no, great, Jesus, but the harvest is coming. we got to make a spot because we got to remove all these guys. Because Judas, you seem like kind of a bad guy. Why don't you go... And like just, you just start 
pushing all these Samaritans out of the way, just these dirty, filthy, and, and I'm sure there was racial slurs that I cannot use from the stage that were being used against him, spoken out of the worship by people. And he's like, no, no, harvest problems, get over yourself. It is possible that the very people that you consider a problem in your life, that you cannot shake, that do not go away, you know who I'm talking about? You got that face in your ear? You've already got it. Lisa's got it. There's already people. They've got, you got a face. That person, you're like, please go away. Please go away. Please go away. It is a possibility that the, the person that you see a problem is potentially the harvest that is ripe and ready. So, I can either get up, get over my bias, get over my ego, come to terms with my racial profiling, and I can extend the hand of hope, or I can let the harvest rot. Man, it's so much more personal when you think of it as a person's soul rotting in front of you because of you. Just like you. Jesus is a jerk to that man. Why are we praying for some workers? We're not just praying for people to do work and to do tasks. We're praying for people who can see other people the way that God sees them. He sees past the flaws, past their race, past their identity, past who we think they are into who they could be and who they're created to be. And we've got the courage and the stamina and the willingness to get up out of our comfort and to say the harvest is right here. And if that means I've got to do something awkward and i got to do something strange or i got to go volunteer somewhere or i got to go sit by that person at lunch even though they smell. That's real. EO is a real issue. Jesus says get over it because that soul is rotting in front of you. Here's, here's the best part. In scripture, it talks about that you can reap what you did not sow. You know what that means? It means somebody else goes and, and plants the seed. And then at some point, the harvest comes, and you get deflected, even though you didn't do all the hard work on the front end. You know, I, my interpretation of that, all that is, is that's the difference between somebody who's willing to put themselves out there, somebody who's willing to look past, somebody who's willing to extend themselves, put themselves in an uncomfortable position, some, somebody who's willing to go to the intersection of hopelessness and hope, somebody who's willing to have a conversation that nobody else is willing to have. That's why you're reaping the harvest that somebody else planted because you're willing to go somewhere that nobody else is willing to go. That's the kind of church we are. That's the kind of people we are. That's who God called us to be, the people willing to go farther, say the things, go to the places, be the light in the lamp of Jesus. And let me tell you, light shines brightest in darkness. I can't even tell you about the small group that I'm going to be hosting in the fall and it's what we're doing and where we're going because it terrifies me. But what I know is that God, it's not about that. It's what God's going to do on the other side. We all get to share on the victory that God's going to do because we're a team. We're a unit. We're a family. We're the people of God and it's harvest time. So you can, there's, there's two ways we can go. Trini, if you could help me out with the first one. 
Now, context matters. And the question that we could ask if you're meal-minded is, where's the food? Where's the food? Because context is important. Where's the food? Where's the meal? Where's the next compliment? You know, if I sing really well at church, will all the people like me more, and then I'll be able to, like, have more friends and be really popular and cool. That's a meal mentality. Where's the food? But Jesus isn't after for the where's the food mentality. What Jesus is calling us to is the where's the harvest mentality. Where's the harvest? Where's the harvest? What can I do? Where can I go? Who am I meeting? Yes, this is pulling me out of my comfort zone. This is taking me to another realm. Context is important. Where's the food? No, 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 no. That's not what we're into. Jesus is the food. Where's the harvest? Come on, Kelly. Why don't you come on up? Where's the harvest? Where's the harvest? Where's the harvest? Say this with me. The harvest, the harvest is, here. is here. Stand to your feet. Say this with me. The harvest, the harvest is, here. is here. Just one more time with a lot more volume like you almost believe it after this fine Sunday morning. Say it. The harvest, the harvest is, here. is here. I kind of anticipated when I was preparing for this last week. Did you hear any of that? Really excited. Because I kind of anticipated that the prospect of seeing a, transfer, a city transformed and, and a region transformed and a neighborhood transformed and people's lives saved, I kind of anticipated that when we said, where's the harvest, you got that in your mind and you caught a vision. You said, God, I'm willing to do anything, go anywhere, have any conversation, do whatever I got to do, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how strange it appears, no matter how strange I appear, I kind of had the misconception that we were the kind of people jacked up and excited and got crazy when God said, guess what? It's harvest time. It's harvest time. You're like, no, Jesus, it's summertime. Four months to harvest. No, no. Harvest time. These are the greatest days. You're living in the greatest days. You're like, oh, man, you know what I want? If you're a Christian, you go, you know what we need? We need revival. Revival's here. It's harvest time. If you're not a Christian, you don't know any of these words, you're like, okay, I'm in, I'm, I'm new here, so let's just go all the way. But if, if we're Christians, and I want to talk to us Christians for just a moment, we're the worst, okay? Mature Christians are the worst, because we're about 4,000 Bible verses overweight, and yet we're so afraid, we're so timid. No, no, you got everything you need. Oh, I don't know if I can say the right thing. Access the 4,000 Bible verses you have inside of you. There must be one thing in there that you could say. And what if you just throw that all out the wall, out the window and just say, okay, harvest is here. It's actually about me reaching a person, a human being, somebody whose face is probably already in your mind right now. It's not about saying the right thing. It's about being there. It's not about doing the right thing. It's about doing whatever needs to get done to help them. It's not about facilitating a journey. It's about walking on a journey with somebody else. Come on, why don't we sing together?
important. The woman looks at Jesus and says, you don't have a bucket for this water. Jesus says, you are the bucket for this water. I'm going to pour out over all the Samaritans. You're the bucket. She goes back. Woman with not one, not two, not three, not four, not five husbands goes back and says, come and see, come and see, come and see. The Bible then says to all who came, believe and trust in Jesus. Now, no disrespect to this lady, but if he can use her, he can use you. Guess what? You're on his bucket list. You are the bucket list. You are the bucket. You're the bucket. Say, I'm the bucket. Come on, no, no, like you believe. I'm the bucket. I'm the bucket. I'm the bucket. All right. You've been listening to the Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.